0: Well, we're pleased that this morning we can have communion again at the service, tea and coffee afterwards, no more further forward than we were, of course, a few months ago, but better than the last couple of months. And we hope and pray for further relaxing of regulations, but only, of course, as is when is wise and safe. Many aspects of life have been put on hold or restricted in the past couple of years, Church life is not alone in that. And for some folks, getting to grips and overcoming the pandemic will come too late. There have been deaths, illness, loss of jobs, missed opportunities, economic hardships, loss of confidence that might not return, and so on. For others, there's opportunity to move on and perhaps to move on in, towards recovering something that's better, maybe better work practices, But amongst all the fluctuations, the step forward, the step back stuff, where, where are we or might we be or become as a church? Of course, that's made more complicated by the likelihood of forthcoming changes, some of which are out of our hands completely. But, and it's a big but, there is still a great deal that we can look at, do, pray for, seek, and aim to be. And we're doing this series on the vows of Claremont membership, a focus on who we are and what we're called to be, and we were putting the vows there on page three in the update, and they're, they're there for you to have a look at. Not that you haven't seen them before, but there's a refresher. For no matter what else goes on around us, no matter what's happening with pandemics, no matter what's happening in the nation, what's happening in church reorganization and so on, the basic call, follow Jesus, follow me, said Jesus, is still our foundation. How do we follow him? How do we be Jesus' people in this time and in this place? Part part of that is how do we do discipleship together? Because that's what church is so we're looking at these vows as they fill out our motto of living the Lord's way, loving the Lord's people, and, and sharing the Lord's message. The last week it was the promise to play our part in living the Lord's way by faithful and ego- eager participation in worship services. Looking at Matthew 15 that Jesus told us that the simply the outward keeping of rituals in and of itself is not enough. God is looking for our hearts to be in it. He's looking for more than lip service. It's about knowing God, engaging God, encountering God. I wonder if there's any difference in what we bring with us today in terms of spirit and attitude in which we gather. Any difference in what we're seeking? Because we're saying there should be a desiring, a longing to see God at work. There was a few of us there this morning were saying how better it would be if more folk came to the prayer before the service and said, God, we were calling out for you. We're looking for you to work. We're wanting things to happen. For in putting together a service week after week, we're not simply going through motions. It's not, well, this is what we do, so we better keep doing it. It's our response to the grace of God, to the love of God, Now, the second part of the vow to be living the Lord's way is by living a life of active discipleship. And just as I was saying a few weeks ago, there's something um, confusing about our language when we talk about church, and it's very often a reference to a building when in fact the church is the the gathered people. So, there is something confusing about language of membership Membership, for one thing, so often focuses on what we get, what we're entitled to. As a member of such and such a scheme, you can get 15% off. As a member of another scheme, you can get first call, first access to this. As a member of this, we're giving you the first option. to it's, it's about what we get. And, and all, also, there's an element of choosing in terms of our... Involvement, isn't there? Membership can quite often be passive. I hope that by being a member of a road breakdown organization, I don't have to do very much about it. In fact, I'm hoping I do nothing about it. I'm hoping I don't need them. I'm looking for inactive membership. And I confess to you, that there are other organizations that are worthy organizations, at least I think they are worthy organizations, that I'm a member of, but I don't do very much about it beyond paying my annual subscription. I I, I just can't engage with everything I want to engage with. I can't do everything I would like to do, support everything I would like to support. So there are occasions when I'm a pretty lousy member. But I... In those instances, I think lousy membership's better than nothing. And so they can have my annual subscription. I'm glad to give it. Membership is about choosing, in a sense, or different levels. But that's not what comes from the message of Jesus. Jesus said, follow me, and he spoke not about membership, but about discipleship. And discipleship was something that we were to do in a way that embraced all of who we are and what we were. There are not different levels of discipleship. You know, we have the basic discipleship, and then we have silver discipleship, where you do a bit more, and then we have gold discipleship, um, you know, which is an even higher standard. Jesus didn't do anything like that. The New Testament doesn't speak of any kind of differentiation. It only speaks of whether you're in Christ or not in Christ. And if we're in Christ, we're in Christ all the way in Christ. And more—it's not just to be something that's unchanging and static, just renewed every year to be the same. It's something which is to be growing, and that's what that passage in Second Peter that Martin read is is all about. Now, turning to that passage, you want to note first of all something of the context of discipleship, particularly verses three and four, and then ten and eleven. Because in verses 3 and 4, it's speaking about what God gives us. It's speaking about His divine power. It's speaking about His promises. And then in verses 10 and 11, it's holding out for us the promise of the eternal kingdom of God. And so it's essential to underline that discipleship is in that big context of the gospel. And the gospel is about what God wants for us. It's not in the first instance about what God wants from us. It's what God wants for us. What does He want for us? Well, He wants you to be participate, verse 4, in the divine nature. He wants you to be into, verse 11, the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Jesus' call, follow me, and all the implications of discipleship that come from that, come in that context of wanting the best for us. The gospel is not focused on how to get through life a little bit better, or something that we can turn to in times of need. It's the call to be part of that kingdom and enjoy God's perfect rule, where there is no fear, no ugliness, where nothing spoils, where there is no death. Now we live in the faith that is to come, but with the first taste of it now. And whatever we do by way of obedience or allegiance to God, it takes place in that context of the grace of God by means of the promise of God, through the power of God leading to the kingdom of God. That's where discipleship starts. And is that, is that not a pretty good place to start from? The power and the promises of God and the hope of His kingdom. So that's the context that Peter says, and it's received as we embrace it in faith. as we embrace the faith. Now, we affirm the faith here in our regular use of the Apostles' Creed. There are, of course, other creeds, but the Apostles' Creed is the earliest and still the most widely used confession of the gospel's content. And we can describe what it, cont- what it contains as the faith. That is the message of what the gospel is, what God has revealed and when we affirm that in saying that the creed, we're saying the I believe is speaking about our faith. Our faith in the faith. They're very different things. Congratulations to Elizabeth II. It's 70 years today since she became queen. And she's been... I think, a good Christian witness over these years, a bit more concerned about what might come next, because I remember, as his point, I remember, for one thing, Prince Charles saying a number of years ago that the title that he had, Church of England-wise, about Defender of the Faith, he wanted to change and say Defender of Faith. That's just the point he was making, faith and the faith were two different things, and he was, no, he was not wanting to be defender of the faith. He was wanting to be defender of faith. But you know, faith in itself is, is no good. It's what you put your faith in that really matters. You know? Welsh rugby supporters might have had faith when they got up yesterday morning, but they put their faith in the wrong thing, really. They were let down. The faith is the gospel content. And when we say, I believe, we are saying, I believe it. And so when we say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe, that's my faith, in God the Father Almighty, and notice that the Apostles' Creed has several I believes, and they're in the shape of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's our faith, and the faith that God has given us or revealed to us. just like those Peter was writing to in this letter, there's a faith that has been given, verse 2, and to that faith we say, yes, I believe that. And then Peter says in verse 5 that we are to add to that faith. He doesn't mean we are to add to the gospel message. We're forbidden to do that. But what he means, verse 5, is that the response to the gospel is not simply to say, yes, all that's true. He, does, he means the response to the gospel is not simply to take out a copy of the Apostle Creed and tick all the different boxes down and say, yeah, I believe that, believe that. Yep, that one's okay. Yep, well, believe that one, believe that one. There you go. Th- that's not faith that he's talking about here. What he's saying is faith as that committing ourselves to, that participation in following Jesus. Follow me, follow Jesus, is to be a living, active, doing, participating thing. But what kind of living, active, doing, participating thing is it? Well, Peter gives some of the characteristics of it in verses 5 to 8. Now, I should say that there are other such lists in the New Testament, And there's a lot of overlap, and they are similar, but they're not identical. So the list here is not exhaustive. But it's giving a clear indication of the kind of attributes that we should be developing, growing, as we follow Jesus. We are to add to that faith. Not add to the faith, but add to the faith that we affirm and believe in the following. And it starts, he says, with goodness— Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 has mentioned goodness as one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's a fullness, a a wholeness, an integrity of life. In one of these sermons in the book of Acts, Peter, the same Peter who wrote this letter, said uh, Jesus went about doing good. And that's what Jesus told his followers to do also. We looked a couple of weeks ago at Matthew 5, where Jesus said, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Faith is to issue in in goodness and good deeds. Add to goodness, he says, knowledge. Now, this is not knowledge in the sense of knowing certain facts how far is it from Nazareth to Jerusalem? Do you know? No. Do you know? No. I haven't an idea. I didn't look it up. It's because that's not the knowledge that we've been talked about here. He's not saying, no, all these wee bits of information. It's the knowledge of how to live faithfully as Jesus' people. It involves knowing what Jesus' message is, And how he wants us to put that into practice. How we live out the the faith in the particular time and place where we are. It's through getting a grip with what's said to us in the scripture. I can recommend it. On Friday, there we put out a, a Clermont Calling where a number of you were talking about Bible reading and how we read it. And again, Bible reading is not a duty. It's not something God is demanding from us, but something that God wants for us. He wants us to know Him better, to better see our place and our part in His work in the world. And that comes as we get to know what He has revealed better. So to goodness, add knowledge, the what it takes to follow Jesus. And to that, add self-control. Again, one of the fruits of the Spirit. About being in control of our appetites, our desires, our reactions, so that we, with the Spirit's help, become more Christ-like. Self-control involves the recognition that sin is not just an occasional lapse, but a force, a power that we are to resist. And it takes self-control to do that. To self-control, he said, add perseverance. Following Jesus means very often going against the tide of what's going on around us. And we began the service this morning with words from Hebrews chapter 12 about considering Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him did not give up. He persevered. It's not how you start in the Christian life. It's how we go on and continue and finish. And that promise, verse 11, of God's eternal kingdom makes the perseverance worth it. To the perseverance, add godliness and awareness of God in every aspect of life. To that, add mutual affection. For Christian living involves our attitudes towards others, especially others in the body of Christ. And to mutual affection, he says, add love. That's very interesting because in the modern world, people would define mutual affection as love or define love as mutual affection. But but clearly, Peter here is saying they're two different things. You know, to all these other things goodness, knowledge, self control, perseverance, godliness add mutual affection, and then you've got to add to that love. Because love isn't doing, love is a giving, love is a serving thing. When Jesus was asked about loving our neighbors, he told the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the Samaritan was not good because he felt the right emotions, felt some mutual affection, but because he acted. He cared and served. Now, while it is true that God is the source of our salvation, while it is true that it's his power and promises that sustain us, there's still a response for us to make. In verse 5 and in verse 10, Peter says, make every effort. He also mentions in verse 8 how these qualities that he's just mentioned should increase He says, we've been given all we need for such living, verse 3. And so we cannot say, well, I'm not good enough, or I could never be like that. We can't say, well, I signed up for the bronze level of membership, not the silver level of membership, or the gold level of membership. Because that doesn't exist. Simply follow me, said Jesus. And so the make every effort is about putting that into a reality and a practice in our lives. So yes, God's grace, but we are to make every effort. Make every effort involves our doing, doesn't it? It involves our working at following Jesus. Suppose you went down to the local DIY store and you stood from opening to closing time once a week in the paint aisle. You even attended a couple of demonstrations by store experts, because you've been doing this for five or six years now, once a week in the paint aisle, and when it opens at seven or eight in the morning till whenever it shuts it, seven or eight at night. That's quite a lot of hours you've spent there now, doing that once a week, five, six years. Are you any better at painting? Maybe not, because if you've never picked up a paintbrush, you'll just be the same as you were when you started, won't you? And sometimes I think, bizarre is that illustration seems, sometimes I think that's how people in churches almost approach the whole business about following Jesus. It's almost as if somehow simply being there somehow makes it all percolate in. We might even watch a demonstration or two from someone and make every effort means doing. It means serving. It means aiming to Grow in goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Not an occasional effort, but a full effort. We cannot opt out because we're not good enough. Verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need. For a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Do you believe that? His divine power has given us everything we need. So, you can't you say, well, my is not up to it, or I'm a bit stiff these days, or... The word of God says, we've been given everything we need. You can't say, well, it's no use. I couldn't stand up the front and say this, or I couldn't play the instruments. We have been given everything we need. And so we cannot or should not opt out on the basis that we're not good enough. Nor should we and I fear this is more of a danger, nor should we opt out or try to opt out or water down the, making every effort on the basis that following Jesus simply doesn't matter enough. The I believe in God, I am a nice person, I take an interest in things, might fit with the language of membership, but doesn't fit with the language of discipleship. And if we're not making every effort, if we're not growing in these things, Peter warns we become ineffective and unproductive. Verse 8, words that remind me of what we were looking at a couple of weeks ago in Matthew 5, where Jesus said, if, if the salt loses its saltiness, it's, it's worthless, it's just fit for being chucked out. God doesn't want that for you. And because God doesn't want that for you, He's offering His divine power that gives everything we need. He's given us His very great and precious promises so that you might participate in the divine nature. You might be one with God. That's what He wants. And if he wants that, do you not think it's the case that we should make every effort? Let us pray.